this morning is, is just, I just feel so joyful right now. Uh, and, and here's kind of what I want to share. This, is, this has nothing to do with the sermon today, so sorry. But, but as I've been praying over the last couple of months just about what this season entails, uh, the phrase that I keep getting is, I'm going to do more. This is a phrase that I feel like the Lord has, has spoken over us as individuals and us as a church, that the word more is going gonna, is gonna to show up in our lives. Uh, in, in this season that we're taking steps as a church and we're changing and we're growing, uh, that, that more is going to take place. And whatever that more looks like, whether it's more uh, numerically, whether it's more in spiritual growth, uh, whether it's more in just, in just stepping into what God has, more of that. You know, the, the, the verse that comes to my mind is when Jesus says, I came so that you could have life and life abundant. He wants us to live abundantly. And so in this next season, as we're moving into it, and I'm so excited about moving into it. I'm so excited about it. I feel like the Lord has said, it's time for more. And, and I'm excited to see what that means. I'm excited what that means for us as individuals in our own lives and what that means for us as a church. I'm actually going to pray real fast into that. So this is, this is just different. But Lord, we, we love that you are a God not just that wants to give us life, but abundant life. And today, we, we accept the fact that more is coming, the fact that abundance is coming. Uh, and we thank you for whatever that looks like, whatever, whatever we're about to step into, uh, we thank you that it's going to be more, more than we can imagine you're going to do, uh, more than we could ever fathom you're going to do in, in provision, in hope, in healing, in growth, we just thank you for the more that's going to take place. And we, we accept it, God. We accept the abundant life that you're offering, the abundance that you're offering. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump into things. Today we're going to be in two passages of Scripture, Job chapter 1 and James chapter 1. Uh, before we get there, though, I want to go ahead and recap a little bit of last week. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go watch online. We had a really great week last week. Uh, where, where we, I feel like we all grew, um, and, and we took steps towards understanding more of what God's heart is on some of these hard issues that we're talking about. Today's not going to be near as hard, uh, so you can go ahead and just <laughs> breathe. <laughs> I'm going to get tense every time I get up here now, but no, this, is, this week's going to be a little bit, a little bit less heavy, uh, but it, we're going to talk about a question that I think every single person at one point or another has asked or is going to ask. Uh, and that question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, we see tragedies happen. We see all these bad things that occur. And the first thought is, why? Why is this allowed to happen? How is this allowed to happen? If God is loving, why would he allow this to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? We kind of talked about this a few months ago in reference to Job. Uh, and, and as you heard, we are going to dig a little bit deeper into Job. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into this issue. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about the good people part. Uh, we hear stories and we hear statistics that make us sick. Um, sometimes even physically, you just get so sick about some of these things. The Holocaust. When the Holocaust happened, we hear, we hear the number 6 million people died. Uh, that number was almost 17 million people that actually died in the Holocaust. Six million Jews died in the Holocaust. But these were innocent people that were killed, that were tortured, that were slaughtered because of their faith. 
These are innocent people. These are good people. These are what God calls his, his people were killed. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? You hear of school shootings to the point where it's almost the norm, to the point where when we see it on the news, it doesn't surprise us anymore that something else has happened. Why do bad things happen to innocent people? Why are these bad things happening to good people? You have Christian martyrs, people that are murdered, Christians that are murdered for what they believe. I don't know if y'all have been following this week. There is so much stirring up about this because in, in the Eastern nations, this is happening like crazy. Christians are being killed for what they believe. And, and it's made a couple of big news stations this week, but there were thousands killed because of what they believe. I read a study this morning that said over the last 10 years, over a million Christians have been martyred for what they believe. Over a million in 10 years. That's 100,000 a year Christians are killed because of what they believe. Why do bad things happen to good people? And then there's, in my, in my opinion, one of the greatest human atrocities that we, can, that we will ever see, that we will ever live through. Since 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, there have been over 250 million babies that have been aborted. 250 million babies that will never live, will never get to take a step, will never get to breathe a breath because of this, because of this issue, because why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, to innocent people? All of these were innocent victims, and they suffered. They hurt. They were killed. This question, I think, has been asked for a really, really long time, to the point where we're honestly not asking this question anymore because we think there's no answer. We've just kind of accepted the fact that, oh, we're just never going to know, so we're not going to ask. But I think this is a really important question to ask because if we ask it the wrong way, I think we have a misunderstanding of God's heart. We have a misunderstanding of God, of who he is. And so that's what we're going to dive into. First, we need to know what good people are, who good people are. The question is normally asked, why do bad things happen to good people? I think if you took a poll... Almost every single person would define themselves as a good person. I really do. And here's why. We justify our faults by saying somebody else is worse. You know, I'm, yeah, I may have done that. Yeah, absolutely, I, I did that. But did you hear about what he did? And, oh, yeah, well, well, she did that, but, oh, my goodness, wait till you hear about this. And we justify our faults. And in that, we're rationalizing, whether we're doing it consciously or subconsciously, we're rationalizing that we are good people. Despite what we have done, somebody's always done something worse. And so when we ask, why do bad things happen to good people? We kind of just need to chop off that last part. Why do bad things happen, period, or question mark, whatever. <laughs> I went to public school, watch out. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know punctuation. Why do bad things happen? That's it. Because everyone would define themselves as a good person in their own eyes. You know, somebody's always done something worse than you. Someone's always done something, and that's true of everyone. There's always somebody we can blame. So we're not going to ask why do bad things happen to good people. We're going to ask why do bad things happen. But secondly, we need to establish what this question really is. This question is not simply why do bad things happen. Because whether we're intentionally doing it or unintentionally, we're questioning why God would allow bad things to happen. We're not just saying, 
why do bad things happen. It's why does God allow bad things to happen? And here's how you know this. Without God, we would not know the difference between good and bad. We wouldn't know the difference between just and unjust. And so a tragedy would not be a tragedy without God. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite Christian authors, says this. My argument, he was, he was an atheist that ended up coming to know the Lord. And he said, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. So this question is not simply saying, why are bad things happening? Because we wouldn't know that thing is a bad thing unless we knew what a good thing was. And so it's, why would God, an all-good God, let bad things happen? We can't know what is bad unless we know what is good. And there is no better story to look at in this than the story of Job. If you want to go ahead and turn to Job chapter 1, we're going to be reading quite a bit today. Um, So if you just want to listen to my vocals, you can. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. That is a lot of kids. And he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys. And he had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their homes, and they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. The thing we need to establish here is Job is the epitome of a good man. He is the epitome of a righteous man. We're going to see here in a second that God says there's no one else like him on the earth. If God says that about you... I think you can go ahead and well assume that you're a good person, that you're living life well. It even says that Job went and confessed sins and and, and repented for sins on behalf of his children. He did that. They would go, his his kids would have dinner and stuff, and he would think in his head, well, maybe they did something wrong, and I want to stand up for them. So he would go make a sacrifice. Job did that for his kids. This was a good man. He was a good man. And he had it all. He had a large family, 10 children. That sounds like a TV show, right? (laughs) 10 children. He had 10 children. He had 7,000 sheep. That's more than three times the amount of people that live in this town. 7,000 sheep? That, I don't even know why you would have that many sheep. 3,000 camels. He had everything. He had wealth. He had a beautiful family. He had dignity, and he was known as the greatest man in the East. The greatest man in the East. That's what people called him. That's not a bad nickname. You might want to take that one. This was a good man. So let's keep reading. In verse 6, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. This is interesting. This is, again, this is not in here, but this is just something interesting. Satan has to answer to the Lord. Think about this. He had to go to God to ask God a question. So this is an encouragement just for your life. You might be feeling tested. You might be feeling like trials are hitting. Satan has to go to God. Satan always answers to God. 
What that means is we win. We know who has authority because Satan, the one that's after you, has to go to God. He has to answer to God. That's just an encouragement. Verse 7, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, from roaming the earth, going back, what just happened? Roaming the earth and going back and forth in it. Before we continue, we need to remember Satan's purpose. We've talked about this. Satan has three purposes, to kill you, to steal from you, and to destroy from you. Other verses say that he's roaming around the earth looking for someone to devour. This is, this is him. And he's standing before God. And he says, this is what I've been doing. I've been going after people. In our mind, when we read this, it's like, God, why did you, why did you not stop him? If you know he's going to do this, if you know he, this is his purpose, to kill, to steal, and to destroy, why didn't you just say, no? But in fact, what we see is something very, very different. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth. He is blameless and upright. There is no one like him on the earth. God says this about somebody. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. He's testing the Lord right now. He's saying, well, of course Job is blame. Of course, of course Job is happy and he's blameless because you gave him everything he could ever want. And so what he says is, if you took it all away, if you treated Job like, like just an average Job, if you didn't bless him, if you didn't give him things, he would curse you. He would turn around and curse you. To his face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. This is, a, this is an important principle, and it's a confusing principle, but it's something we have to understand. Otherwise, everything about this question makes sense. Why does God let bad things happen to good people? This is the principle we need to grasp. We need to realize the enemy is still out today. He is still moving, he is still breathing, he is still trying to act today, and God allows it. God allowed the enemy to test Job. God allowed the enemy to test Job. And, I mean, I mean God is all-powerful. He has every bit of power. In an instant, he could wipe the enemy from the face of the earth. In an instant. In an instant, he could have returned everything to Job. In an instant, all the trials, everything we're walking through could be over. We literally see this in the Old Testament. He wipes out the earth with a flood. He could do it. He has all power, but he doesn't. He allows it to happen, and here's why. A loving father is different than a controlling dictator. A loving father is different than a controlling dictator. We talked about this on Easter Sunday, but God loves us. And he loves you. And that's why he gives us free will. Because we can see right now in our world, there are situations, there are dictatorships, there's things that are happening where people are being controlled and their lives are terrible. Their decisions are made for them. Everything is decided before, honestly, before they're even born. Everything about their life is decided for them, what they're going to do, how they're going to dress, who their family is going to be. Everything is just decided. And it's not love. 
and the people are miserable and the people are dying. We see this. And that is not God's heart. He doesn't want to control you. He doesn't want to manipulate you. He loves you. And so he allows bad things to happen because of free will. Not having free will is not loving. It's controlling. And this is why the enemy is allowed to move. So let's turn. We're going to keep staying here a little bit. Uh, Verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind came in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Job gets it bad. (laughs) Job, a man who is called blameless and upright, who is called the greatest man in the East, who God says there's no other person like him on the earth, gets it bad. I mean, we think we're walking through things, and this is not not to minimize what we're walking through because your issues and things that are going on in your life are personal, and that means they're, they're affecting you. But Job, on a whole different level, is affected. In a few minutes, it's, it says as they were speaking, as he was speaking, as he was speaking, in a few minutes, in a few moments, he loses everything, his, his wealth, his dignity, his family. It even says later after this, he tears off his robe and shaves his head. He's, just, he's, he, he's ripping off his dignity. He has nothing left. He is completely broken. And he falls on his knees and he says, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. But in an instant, everything comes crashing down. This is the perfect example of God allowing a bad thing to happen to a good person. And we had to figure out why. Job was an amazing man, but tragedy still struck. We know, again, we talked about this earlier this year, and you read later in, in, in chapter 32 that Job was dealing with some sin. Job was dealing with some pride. Because he says he's the only man that's, that's ever not sinned, and we know about Jesus. <laughs> and so we, we know that there was some sin in Job's life. Every person has sinned. So Job was not a perfect man. And by the way, pride is one of the easiest traps you can fall into and not even know that you're in it. Satan, when he was an angel, he got kicked out of heaven because of pride. That's the reason he got kicked out of heaven. He was prideful. I think sometimes we're walking in pride and we don't even know it. Confession. Sometimes I'm walking in pride and I don't even know it. And I'll get a wake-up call and you just turn around and repent. But pride is one of the easiest sins to fall into. Even though he was walking in pride, he was still a righteous man. God said there was no one else like him. So I think there's three points we need to look at as to why these things happen, why bad things happen to good people. There's three points. Here's the first one. Sin is where it starts. God gave man a choice between good and evil. God gave man a choice. 
And as we know, sin always has consequences. Sin devastates. And sin, the Bible says that inherently, because sin is sin, it requires a response. Something will happen when we sin. Okay, so sin doesn't just get shoved under the rug. Sin requires an answer. (coughs) Man chose sin. Man is choosing sin today. We're continually living in sin. And because of that, there is evil in the world. God gives a choice between good and evil. He gives a choice between right and wrong. And we can choose, we, we, we often choose to live right. But that doesn't negate the fact that there is people and there are situations and there are things that are choosing wrong. Sin always requires a response. And our loving Father allows us to have a choice, but often we choose wrong. Which leads to our second point. We have to stop blaming God for man-caused issues. We have to stop blaming God for man-caused issues. Um, One of my favorite pastors, if you ever want a a pastor that, this man looks at Scripture in a completely, just a completely different way. It's, It's amazing. Pastor Robert Morris from Gateway Church in Dallas. He is unreal. If you need some, something to listen to this week, pull up one of his podcasts. He's amazing. But he says this, and don't throw things when I say this, because I'm going to explain it, but it's going to sound heretical. Just don't, don't start throwing things. You just voted me in. <laughs> Starting off strong. He says this, God is always in charge, but he's not always in control. He's always in charge, but he's not always in control. I'm going to give you an example. In, in, in the Bible, the most common relationship that we have with God, the most common comparison we have with God is familial. It's God is, is Father. It's Abba God, and we are family to Him. Okay? So speaking of family, a lot of you have kids or have been around children. Parents, you are in charge of your kids and in charge of your household. It's your God-given responsibility to be in charge of your household. But are you always in control of what's happening Absolutely not. You are not. Okay? It, I, I don't have children, but I have nieces. I have nephews. I've worked with kids for a long time. You can sit there, and you're just like, I don't even know what's happening. Like it's, it's like a hurricane has gone through here. Everything is a disaster. Even though you're in charge, you are in charge, but you're not always in control. Okay? Uh, you know, another example. Our government, legally... Legally, our government is in charge of everything that goes on. But since the founding of our nation, our government has not been in charge of every, and has not been in control of everything that's happening. We don't even need explaining on that. We just know that's true, okay? So we recognize that we know God is in charge. God is in charge, but he's not always in control. Why? Because he gives that to us. He gives the choice to us. So now, if you still disagree, now you can start throwing tomatoes or whatever. We know God rules. He has all authority. Even Satan has to go to him. Even Satan has to go to God's throne and ask permission. We know God has authority and he rules. But sometimes we don't give him control over our lives and our situations. We don't give him control we keep control, and we give Satan a foothold when we don't do that. We give Satan a foothold in our life when we don't cede control to God. We give, that's when we give Satan a foothold. This means 
It's not God's fault when bad things happen. We can't blame God for bad things happening. We can blame sin. We can blame man. So we're asking God, why do you allow bad things to happen? And he says, well, you have free will. You're choosing this. You're choosing it. And here's what I'm, I'm going I'm to say this. I am not saying in any way that people that are walking through tragedies, that people have walked through some of these, you know, the Holocaust, aborted babies. Obviously, a baby that has not been born did not do something to deserve that. But here's the thing. Sin affects. Sin affects people around you. It affects the situations that you're in. Sin does not just affect you. Sin, other people's sin can affect you. Other people's choices can affect you. Your choices affect other people. And so someone sinning can actually lead to someone else's destruction. Someone sinning can actually lead to someone else's destruction. And that's a very sad reality. That people would continually choose the wrong path. That people would continually choose the, the path of, of sin and destruction because it's not just hurting you, it's hurting others as well. And that leads us to our final point today. The enemy attacks because he's scared. Why, why did Satan choose Job? He chose Job because Job feared God. He chose Job because Job lived a blameless and a righteous life. God thought so highly of Job that he said there's nobody else like him. Job attacked, I mean, Job was attacked because he feared God. And when you fear God, Satan fears you. When you fear God, Satan fears you. He will attack anybody. He will. Because that's his job, to kill, to kill. What does that mean? To kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's his job. And he's roaming, looking for people to, to do that to. But, you know, his first thought, the first people he's going to go after are people that fear God. Fear not like they're scared of God, but they're in awe of God. They're living for God. That's who he's going to go after because that's who's threatening him. That's who's taking steps and taking ground on what he's doing. It's believers. It's people who have submitted everything to Jesus. He's terrified. He was scared of Job, and he didn't beat Job. At the end of chapter 1, the Lord gives and he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May the, Lord may, the, may the Lord's name be praised. He doesn't beat Job, but he went after Job because Job feared God. Satan gets scared when he's losing. He goes after souls. He wants people's souls. We've talked about this in the, in the Armor series. He wants to win. And when we're taking steps, when we're moving, when we're gaining ground, when we're taking a hold of the victory that's already promised to us, he is scared. He is scared. So when people are choosing righteousness, choosing Christ, he's going to do everything in his power to end that. He will do everything in his power. And that's why James writes, we're going to now turn, if you're opening your Bibles, James chapter 1. He writes this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, consider it pure 
joy when you face these trials. Here's, here's kind of a reality, and it's a little bit sad, but it also should be flattering. As we begin to beat our trials and begin to, to, to ground on what the enemy is doing, we're actually going to be a target for more trials to happen because the enemy is scared. And us persevering, it says, mo- most translations say, that it makes our faith perfect. As we persevere through these trials, as we continue to keep our eyes on the Lord, our faith is made perfect. Through that, we are made perfect. We're being sanctified. We're taking steps. That scares the enemy. So when you're facing trials, when things are happening, choose joy because you're scaring the enemy. He's getting scared and he's like, I've got to throw everything I have. Look at Job. He literally threw every tactic. The Lord said, you can do anything but harm him. He did everything but harm him because he was scared of Job. And so when trials are happening, we choose joy because we know we're being tested and we know that in that testing, our faith can be made perfect. We've scared the enemy. And as we discussed in, in, in the armor series, we can have victory over that. We talked about it. Again, if you need a refresher, all those podcasts are on Facebook. They're on uh, not Spotify. What's that thing called? iTunes. <laughs> Podbean. They're everywhere. Look up these things. If you need practical steps in your victory, look them up. Listen to them again. But here's the thing. We cannot, cannot blame God for our sins and our lacks. We chose it. Man, as humanity, has chosen some of these things. And, and when we begin to see this change, we begin to see, you know, repentance... Repentance literally means, it doesn't just mean, sorry, God, you know, bye, I did it again. You know, that's not what it means. Repentance means I'm walking this way, continually choosing the wrong thing. I stop. When I repent, it literally means a complete turn. And then you start walking this way. And you know what? You might get sidetracked. You might start walking this way again. Repentance. You turn back around. When we, as the church and as Christians and really as the world, as humanity... When we can come to the realization that we have to repent and turn around and start walking this way, A, we're going to see the enemy get really, really, really scared. But what we're also going to realize is that God is continually faithful through the trials. In every trial, in every situation, He has always made Himself good and He's always made Himself faithful. Somebody asked me, a couple of weeks ago, why do you always pray that? Why do you always pray that God is good and faithful? All these things. Because you can see throughout Scripture, He's always been that. We blame God for things that we, as humanity, as mankind, have done. And you know what He does? He doesn't get mad at us because we blame Him. He still shows up good and faithful every time. And in every situation, He's always good. He always is faithful. Even when we blame Him. Even when we say, God, this is all your fault. Why are you allowing this to happen? Why would you allow this to happen? God, why are you allowing these bad things to happen? We're still walking this way. And even sometimes when we're walking this way, he still blesses us and he still shows up good and faithful. He still shows up good and faithful even when we blame him for things he didn't do. My prayer today is just that our hearts would be stirred and that our attitudes would be, would be changed in that we're not asking God, why are you allowing bad things to happen to good people? But we say, God, thank you that when the bad things are happening, you show up. 
you show up. You always have and you always will. I pray that that's our heart. I pray that that's the shift that our heart makes. Because if we begin to put blame in the wrong place, we have a misunderstanding of God's heart. God's heart says that that it's always for you. All of His plans are for you. Every single one. So that you can have hope. So that you can have a future. And the Bible says He turns every bad thing and makes it beautiful. Every bad thing He turns and makes beautiful for those that love Him. And so as we, as we kind of close today, I just want to pray that over us. Lord, we thank you that in every situation you make yourself good and you make yourself faithful. God, I pray that our hearts would have a, a realization today. Maybe there's some areas we've been blaming you for. Maybe there's some things in our life that's going on, things in the world that are going on that we've maybe not even consciously but subconsciously been blaming you for. Father, and I pray today that those attitudes and those thoughts would come to our mind so that we can look at them and we can repent and turn around and walk the other way. God, we pray today for the repentance of, of, of the church, for the repentance of our nation. Lord, we pray that there would be a revival that would begin to break out, that would start in the local church, that would start with, with Christians and would spread like wildfire, and that we would begin to team up with other believers and that we would approach this point where we would turn around, that we would turn around, that mankind would stop choosing sin, that we would stop choosing the wrong path but that our hearts would be awakened to the truth of your love and the truth of your grace and that we would turn around and walk with you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you're okay with our questions. Thank you that you're okay with us coming to you when we have thoughts. You are so good and you are so faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.